Matthew chapter 24. This is uh, what's referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Where Jesus is talking about the signs of his return. And he says in verses 4 and 5, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Then over at verse 11, Many false prophets will arise, and will mislead many. So the Lord Jesus warned us that there were going to be many people who were going to be false prophets who were going to mislead people away from the truth. Uh, what's interesting, when I was preparing for this, I googled the uh, line here, beware of false prophets. I actually googled just false prophets too, and, and the search results were similar in both cases. If you google beware of false prophets, after you get past all the direct references to Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, the first link that comes up is a message from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right? The Mormon church. Right? And it's the same if you just put false prophets in. The first link that comes up is from the Mormons. Interesting. And so I was like, wow, what, that, that's kind of strange. What, what's this all about? So uh, it is a uh, video. and the, the, So I watched the video, and the full text of what the guy says, this, this uh, sermon, is on this uh, website. It's a message from a man named, they call him Elder M. Russell Ball, of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in his talk, he quotes extensively about all the prophecies and all the, the texts that we read and, and other ones that are in the Bible, warnings about being aware of false prophets, and especially as it relates to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then he says... And I'm quoting this a little extensively. He says, President Joseph F. Smith, so he's the founder of the Mormon group, gave wise and clear counsel that applies to us today. Quote, we can accept nothing as authoritative, so the Mormon church can accept nothing as authoritative, but that which comes directly through the appointed channel, the constituted organizations of the priesthood, which is the channel that God has appointed through which to make known his mind and will to the world. So immediately you read that and you say, wait, 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 wait a minute. We can, ex- we can, it says, we can accept nothing as authoritative but that which comes directly through the appointed channel, the constituted organizations of the priesthood. What should he say there? The Bible. <laughs> That's what's authoritative. The Bible. And then he says, uh, and the moment that individuals look to any other source, besides this priesthood that they're talking about, that moment they throw themselves open to the seductive influences of Satan and render themselves liable to become servants of the devil. They lose sight of the true order through which the blessings of the priesthood are to be enjoyed. They step outside the pale of the kingdom of God and are on dangerous ground. Whenever you see a man rise up claiming to have received direct revelation from the Lord to the church, which is exactly what Joseph Smith did, independent of the order and channel of the priesthood, so in other words, they can do it, but nobody else is allowed to do that, right? You may set him down as an imposter. And then the, the message goes on, he says, still quoting, he says, when we think of false prophets and false teachers, we tend to think of those who espouse an obviously false doctrine or presume to have authority to teach the true gospel of Christ according to their own interpretation. 
We often assume that such individuals are associated with small, radical groups on the fringes of society. However, I reiterate, there are false prophets and false teachers who have, or at least claim to have, membership in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are those without authority, they are those who without authority claim church endorsement to their products and practices. Beware of such. And then he says, yesterday the members of the church sustained the first presidency and members of the quorum of the twelve apostles of, as prophets, seers, and revelators, with Gordon B. Hinckley being sustained as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He, and only he, holds and exercises in their fullness all of the keys of God's kingdom on earth. The Catholic Church would object to that because they would say, no, that's the Pope. But it's the same category, right? Not the Bible. Some person. Okay. How grateful we are to hold and know and to sustain President Hinckley. And then later at the end of his talk he says this. False prophets and false teachers are those who declare that the prophet Joseph Smith was a duplicitous deceiver. They challenge the first vision as an authentic experience. They declare that the Book of Mormon and other canonical works are not ancient records of scripture. Which is true, they're not. They also attempt to redefine the nature of the Godhead because the Mormons deny the triune nature of God. Right? And they deny that God has given and continues to give revelation today to his ordained and sustained prophets. Now, I, I said all that because I, I really want to make the point here. Uh, what A prophet is someone who, who claims to speak as a representative of God. And so you have these people who are claiming to speak on behalf of God to other people. And and we're to be aware of these false prophets because these people are practicing deception. So I was thinking, well, what's the point of deception? You want to fool people. You want to deceive them. And how do you do that effectively? Like, if it's obviously false, no one's going to believe it. If it's well, I shouldn't say that. There are people who I, I tell my kids in school. I, I'm, if anybody's here doesn't know, I teach school, and sometimes in my frustration, I say to them that if I if I wasn't uh, trying to be an honest person, it would be a great time to be a cult leader or a politician, because you can convince people of just about anything, because nobody bothers to check the facts for themselves. It's amazing to me how many people are willing to put their eternal, eternal destiny on the word of somebody else and never investigate it themselves. They just take it on faith because so-and-so said it, therefore it must be true. And they don't ever investigate things for themselves. They don't, you know, it's, it's like the kids who they just look at the, the first, or the picture in the, in the magazine and they read the caption, but they don't read the article. That, that's our society today. Nobody wants to take the time to investigate things. And so, as a, if you're trying to deceive people, like if I was counterfeiting currency... The goal is to make it look as authentic as possible. I want to get as close to it as I can. And so just because there are people who come and they say, well, you know, I, I'm speaking in the name of Jesus. You believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean that we should just be like, oh, okay, I'll listen to anything that they say, right? Because the, the Jesus that they're talking about might not be the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, we see this even in the early church uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he said, I'm afraid 
that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The gospel is not a complicated matter, right? The gospel is what? That I'm a sinner. That I've fallen short of God's minimum standard, which is perfection. And everybody has, right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's nothing that I can do or you can do to save myself. There's nothing that I can do that will allow me to stand before a holy and just God and say that I am innocent of all charges against me and therefore I have, uh, I am worthy of being able to stand in your presence. No. And there's nothing, there's no way that I can, can do anything about the problem. So the good news is that God did it for me. That Jesus Christ came, was incarnated as man, lived that perfect life and offered himself as the substitute for me. He paid my penalty. And he rose from the dead to to vindicate God's justice, it says in Romans 3, right? To show that God is just and the justifier of those who accept his offer of salvation by faith. That's, that's not a hard thing. I'm a sinner. Jesus is who he claimed to be. He died on the cross for me. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. That's it. It's not hard. You can, a, a child can understand that. But Paul says that uh, for the, that you've been led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which is not which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. They're, we're welcoming all these people, teaching them things that don't accord with the truth. And it's interesting again. When you look at these other false religions, they, they want to affirm... The, I mean, Islam is amazing to me. If you ever read the Quran, they'll say, well, Muhammad was illiterate. That's why the Quran is inspired, because he was the unlettered prophet, they call him. And, and again and again, the Quran reiterates stories that appear in the Bible, but they're, they're not quite the same. They've changed. Right? But, it, but the Quran actually says that Allah gave the Torah, Allah gave the Gospels, and Allah gave the Quran. The problem is... The Quran doesn't agree with the Gospels, right? It says that Jesus Christ didn't actually die on the cross. Well, then, if Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross, we're doomed. Because that's the message of salvation. So it's not the same. They can't be the same. But they claim the Bible as their own. So they get as close as possible. They claim to be servants of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15 says this, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Right? They don't come out and tell you that, in fact, I, I think that many of these people are sincerely deceived. They don't even know they're deceived. And so their hearts might be sincerely thinking that they're doing the right thing, but they're deceived. Because they're, they're not in accord with what the Bible says. The Bible says that they are wolves in sheep clothing, sheep's clothing. We read that in Matthew 7. It says the same thing in Acts 20. Uh, and this is even, you find this within quote-unquote mainstream Christianity. There are false teachers and false prophets. In Acts 20, verse 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from, am and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. From among your own selves. 
these wolves will appear. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. We can't think of any organizations that forbid marriage and, and make people abstain from eating certain foods, can we? Yes, <laughs> we can. Right? Matthew 28, it says, But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on your earth your father, for there is one father. He who is in heaven. You read these things, it's like, this is so plain. How do you mess this up? But yet you see all these people, like, I am rabbi so-and-so, or father, whatever. Like, it's like, no, that's not what Jesus said, right? He is the father. Like, the father is the father, right? He is the teacher. He is our Lord. And the biggest thing about the deception is that they deny the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus. Right? They, do, they deny the person of like, who he is and that he is sufficient. That there's always something that you have to do. Right? It's always faith plus whatever else. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to talk more about that later on. But I think it's interesting that Jesus says that these people will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And And... That implies you didn't know me either. You thought you knew me, but you didn't know me. And so then the question we could ask is, okay, how do we tell if someone is a, uh, is a uh, I should say, false prophet? My editor didn't catch that one. False prophet or a false teacher? The first thing is that the truth, and I talked a little bit about this on Friday evening, that the truth is exclusive, right? If we're doing, I like math because it illustrates this exactly. If, if you have 2 plus 2, the answer is 4. There's a potentially infinite number of wrong answers. Because there's only one right answer, 4. So that every other number, 5 is wrong, 3 is wrong, 15 is wrong, right? The only answer that's true is 4, because truth is by nature exclusive. If something's the truth, then anything that disagrees with that is not the truth. It's a very simple concept. Right? So we have the exclusivity of the truth. Uh, in Galatians 1 through 6, Paul says to the church at Galatia, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel, which is not another, because there's only one, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, that's Islam, the angel Gabriel came to the prophet Muhammad and told him something 600 years after Jesus. And it's not the same. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Period. There is only one true article. And anything that's not that article is not the real thing. Was it? Was that? Uh, what was the advertisement? Was that c- c- like uh, Coke or something? The real thing? I forget. No. Anyway, uh, Jesus said uh, in the passage that we read in Matthew seven that by your the fruit you'll know them because a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. 
what's what's interesting, like usually when we read that, we associate the fruit with the, the works that people do. But I would I would ask you to think about this. I want to tell you a story. I saw a, a news clip years ago. It was about an Islamic group. I think they were in Minnesota, maybe. And they had a food bank and clothing bank for people in need. And the, the story, I think it was on like CNN, the student version, CNN student news. And there's a lady that uh, was helped by this group so much that she became a volunteer for the group. And in the video, she had the hijab on because she had converted to Islam because she was so impressed by the good work that these Islamic people were doing in the community that she said, you know what, this, these, there's something to this. I want to be part of this group. And I've, I've watched and read numerous groups of people who were so impressed by certain organizations and the things that they were, the good things they were doing to, in the community that they were like, you know what, there's something here. I want to be part of this. And so they convert to the religion. But it's, so it's not just the things that they do, but it's the things that they say. It's the words that they say. And that's why I think it's important to, to do your homework, which we will talk about uh, more in a moment here. Uh, in 1 John 4, verses 1 to 3, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. So we'll talk more about exactly what this means in a moment, but I just wanted to put that in there. And then the last thing, that the, the way that we can tell if someone's a false prophet, is if their prophecy does not come true. And so uh, if you could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is an important passage. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Starting in verse 15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up from you, so from the nation of Israel, a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly. So when they gathered around Mount Sinai and God spoke audibly to the people, they said, we can't bear this. Can Moses just go up? Because if you continue to talk directly to us, we're all going to die. And so God says, just like you asked, uh, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see his great fire, any, this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well. So, he says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? So here's the test. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing that, if the thing does not come true about, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. 
The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So uh, I wanted to show... Uh, I know we don't usually do video clips. Uh, let me set this up a little bit. This is a, a video. I, I asked John to send out a video from this guy named Joel Kramer. Joel Kramer, he was a pastor at a church in Utah for like 15 years. Now he lives over in the Middle East. At this time, he was living in Jerusalem. But he does archaeology stuff. So his website is Expedition Bible. There's great archaeology clips there. He does a really nice job. But this particular video, it's like an hour long. This is like six minutes long. But you ever... Like, every, there are times when somebody is captured on film that's like that moment, and you're like, there it is, right? This is one of those moments, like, I can't get it out of my head, and I can't really explain it, so I was like, I just want to show you. So the guy, that's Joel Kramer, and he's talking to this guy on the screen, his name's Greg Gifford. There's a big Mormon, uh, there's a, uh, what's the, what's the Mormon church, uh, what's their college? Boy, uh, Brigham Young, yeah. Brigham Young has a campus in Jerusalem. So this guy was over... This guy's a generational Mormon. Grandparents of Mormons. Parents of Mormons. He's raised Mormon. Right? He was over in Israel touring. And he agrees to meet... Joel, Joel Kramer met him. And he agrees to meet with Joel and to talk about... To examine Mormonism. And the, and the prophecies in Mormonism. And so the whole video, they go through all this stuff. And he goes through the Bible. And here's the prophecies that you see in the Bible. And boom, here you can see the fulfillment. Okay, here's the prophecies of the Book of Mormon. Did this come true? No, it did not. Right? And it, so he, he goes step piece by piece and just dismantles the whole thing. And so what I want to show you, this is, this is the kind of end where they, they're like, okay, so now you've seen all the evidence. All right, so could you play this? Oh, all right. Volume 2. When you apply the scripture verbatim, So what does Deuteronomy say your responsibility is? Because it, it's not it's not written to it's written to uh, to the one who's reading it, obviously. And there's there's a responsibility to the if if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true. That is a message the Lord has not spoken. And it says what you're to do with that person. You must be put to death. And and what, the, what, what is that responsibility that God is giving in response to the prophet that's found a false prophet? Who's got the responsibility to put that prophet to death? God's not going to strike him dead. Yes, to the people who have come to realize oh, this person has failed this test of a prophet. Right. Therefore, it's the people's responsibility to put him to death, right? So in context to Joseph Smith, we remember that death means separation. So what it means from a spiritual standpoint, a biblical standpoint, to put Joseph Smith to death is to separate ourselves from him and his writings and his church. And that responsibility God has given to the one who sees that he fails the test. So you're saying that he's failed the test, but you don't want to put him to death. 
sometimes I I totally see what you're talking about and it's I have no fear of Joseph Smith whatsoever because again Deuteronomy 18 says if a prophet fails a test do not be afraid of him I'm not afraid of Joseph Smith I'm not afraid of being condemned to hell because I don't believe that he is a true prophet because he fails the test of the prophet and therefore I can walk in freedom without having to fear what the Book of Mormon says about me what it says about the Bible that I believe in and so on and so forth this is what I believe I believe in this alone and I don't believe that it's foolish to do so um, this I have a problem with because because there's so many contradictions between this and this that to believe in all of that logically doesn't work. Then you have to, honestly, you have to add this to the mix, too. Because that's a work of Joseph Smith. This is a work of Joseph Smith. Now you've got a new translation. How can That's just a confusing mess. And there's... John 1.1 1, 1 isn't the same as John 1.1 1, 1 in here. And Romans 4.16 isn't the same as Romans 4.16 in here. And Isaiah... The prophet Isaiah isn't the same, and the Torah isn't the same. And then you have this reflected more in this. I just, it's hard for me to grasp how logically you can believe in that whole ball of wax without having what's called cognitive dissonance, which is these contradictory beliefs that, that cause great confusion. For me to answer your question, it's going to take a lot of study, and I have to come to grips in my own mind as to, I can't just take your word for it, I have to study Absolutely. it out for myself. Absolutely. And let me just end by saying this, if it's simple, logically I think it has to be. Because I, I don't believe that God says, He says, you know, to understand this truth, that we've got to be more like children, not more like scholars. So, bottom line, it's got to be simple. I think He makes it simple for our protection. I think Deuteronomy 18, Test of the Prophet, is simple for a reason by God's design. And when you apply Deuteronomy 18, that simple test to Joseph Smith, and you put him to death, this is what happens. And I believe that that is where peace is. And where the confusion ceases to, you know, to manipulate it and to where you can go, okay, now the confusion's gone. Now I can go into what what the Bible says about what the problem is and what the solution is and how Jesus is that solution both the Old Testament and the New Testament and really begin to be free. Did you see the hold that it has on him? His whole family... Like what? Like what do you do? I mean, for him to acknowledge what is the clear truth, and that's why the Bible says you have to love. Jesus says you have to love me more than your mother and father and daughter, right? Because 
it's not that, oh, you know, like, oh, my whole family and my whole life is wrapped up in, in Mormonism or Islam or Hinduism or, you know, everything else. Do you love me more than these? And you can see, like, the, that's why I said, like, the, I never saw anything quite like this where he's like, like, he sees it. He knows it. But the grasp that it ho- has on people is incredible. So how do we, again, how do we protect against this? If you are, are someone who's trying to sniff out counterfeits, you become an expert in the real thing, right? If you want to sniff out counterfeit money, you, want, you need to know your currency better than anybody else. So the, the big question, and again, I talked about this on Friday, but the more I think about this, this is the question. There, there's, like, everything else in life boils down to this question. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus said that to, to his disciples. And whom do you say that I am? And Jesus and Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Because you can, you can intellectually acknowledge that Jesus existed as a historical person, because that's a fact. And you can acknowledge that he died on the cross. You can even acknowledge that he rose from the dead. But he, he still could not be your Lord and Savior. That's why those people are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Because they intellectually might acknowledge that and assent to it, but they don't believe. They haven't surrendered to Him as their Savior and Lord. They haven't asked Him, Lord, I need you to save me. And what's fascinating is Jesus is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. We studied this the other night in John chapter 12. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Remember, he said, I'll send you a prophet. He who sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is that which will judge him at the last day. And that's exactly what it says in Deuteronomy 18. It shall come about, this is Deuteronomy 18, verse 19, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Jesus is claiming, I am that prophet who was prophesied by Moses, who came. He says, for I did not speak on my own initiative, back in John 12, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say, what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life, therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And the thing about, like if, like, they don't come to my house that much anymore because I kind of live not in an easily accessible location to walk around, but we used to live in Bethlehem Township. The Jehovah's Witnesses would come to my house all the time. And and they, to their credit, they have studied their material. And a lot of times they anticipate the responses that people give them. But when you talk to them, you center on who is Jesus because they don't acknowledge Jesus as being truly man and truly God. And so when you focus on that, you say, like, well, who is Jesus? And, and Jesus clearly claimed to be equal with God. If you look at Matthew 26, when he's put on trial before the high priest, he, he uses all three of these titles. He calls himself the Son of God in a unique sense. He says that he, they said, are you the Messiah? He says, I am. 
And then he says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he's referring to the Son of Man in Daniel. And that person who comes in power and glory is given a kingdom that is everlasting and all people will bow to him. The only person that gets worship is God. So whoever the Son of Man is, they recognize you're claiming to be divine. And that's why the high priest tore his clothes and said, we don't need any more testimony. This man is blasphemed because he's claiming to be God. Right? Jesus claimed equality with the Father. In John 10, uh, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. When the Pharisees and religious leaders were questioning Jesus in John chapter 8, they said, are you better than, you're greater than Abraham? You're not even 40 years old. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was saying because they picked up stones to try to stone him. So who is Jesus? That's the main question. And, I, and again, I shared this on Friday because this stuff is all in my mind. Uh, but in the Middle Ages, there was a, a uh, theologian named Anselm. And he said this. And I think this is the best quote that I've ever come across on this. He said, The debt was so great, our sin debt was so great, that while none but man must solve the debt, because we were the ones who did it. We're guilty. We're responsible for God. But none but God was able to do it, because it's impossible for us to meet God's minimum standard, because we all have a sin nature. You don't have to teach your children to do bad things. I don't have to teach my kids to be greedy. I don't teach my kids to have temper tantrums. That's all built in, right? I have to teach them to share. I have to teach them to play nice with them. I have to treat, teach them to treat other people like themselves. Right? But none, none but God was able to do it so that he who does it must be both God and man. It was the only way that God could do it was to have his son come down and become a man. Right? It says he humbled himself even to the death of a cross. And so he died in our place. And when he died in our place... That was, he said, it is finished. Right? It's the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read, uh, it says that every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You don't have to do it every week. You don't have to call the Lord Jesus down and have him symbolically be crucified again and have his body and, and blood physically manifested in the in the uh, bread and wine so that it gets rid of your venial sins. That says that his sacrifice wasn't sufficient. But the Bible clearly says it was. That when God sees me, if I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, while I'm... Because think about it, sanctification is a process, but justification is a one-time event. When I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit indwells me, then I am justified before Him. I'm not totally sanctified. That, uh, you know, hopefully we become conformed to the image of Christ. And that doesn't mean that I'm sinless and perfect. Right? I can sin and, and have my relationship with with uh, the Lord be affected by that and that's why I have to confess my sins and it says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness right I have to keep my account short with the Lord right just like if I like I love my children but when they disobey me and there's a problem we have to deal with that problem before we can continue but I love them and they're in the family they're already in the family 
They've been born into my family. I've been born into the family of God. That justification is a one-time thing. So it's not that I have to keep doing it. And in Galatians chapter 2, it's, and I, I see a lot of this on the internet where there's Christians who try to bring the law back in. They want to bring it back in. But Paul says, uh, he says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Which is a great line, right? <laughs> just shows, like, oh, we're not those, the sinners. He says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. So even the Jews realize that there's no other way to be saved but to believe in the Lord Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But, if seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? So if I'm still seeking to be justified, so I can keep the law somehow in Christ, and then I find out, look, oh, I'm still sinning all the time, does that mean that Jesus failed? No! It means that you messed it up. You don't understand the whole process. Right? You're trying to resurrect this old law that we've read in Second Corinthians, uh, chapter 3, that it was, it's less glorified than the Lord Jesus. Right? This is better. It's a better, it's a new covenant, because I can't do that. Right? Paul says that the law was there, it's like a mirror to show you that your face is dirty, but you can't clean yourself by the law. He says, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. That's all the law does. It shows me that I sin. For through the law, I died to the law, because Jesus fulfilled the law and then died, so I died with Christ, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And that's the big thing, right? I mean, if you want to get as close to the real thing as possible, you acknowledge everything, but you just say that Jesus wasn't enough. That there's you have to play a role, right? And God will give you the grace to live a good enough life so that you can therefore merit salvation somehow. That's a lie. That's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. And so how do we protect against false teaching? Uh, for sake of time, I'm going to read all these, but first of all, we have to pray, right? Paul says in, in Colossians 1, he says, For this reason also... Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We can ask God, right? He says if you need wisdom, ask it because he gives it liberally. God will help us. And then the, the big thing is, as I see all this stuff around, is that we have to start with the Word of God. I think it's it's interesting uh, how many times I see people uh, that start with a priori assumptions, right? They, they, they have a, a framework in their mind and they're going to make the Bible fit into their preconceived framework. But that's not how it should be. Right? We should start with the Word of God. How can I make sense of the Word of God? In a, because, again, you don't interpret the difficult passages uh, and use them 
to make sense of it. You take the easy passages and then you use them to help you understand the more difficult passages, right? Because there's plain truth in the Bible. There are things that are very plain to see. So if you come across something that contradicts a very plain truth, just because the model says that, that I would be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something must be wrong with the model. I, I, I had a, an interesting conversation with a brother one time, and he said, you know, the, the, one of the mo- most difficult things for me to understand is how so many Christians who I believe are truly Christians and truly saved and, and, and uh, ask God's help still get things, uh, still come up with so, so many contradictory, contradictory conclusions about things, right? There's so many doctoral differences. Uh, I, I watched a video on, uh, there's a guy who was explaining the post-millennial view, uh, how the uh, church is going to take over the world and we're going to have the whole world converted for Christ and then Christ is going to, which I don't think is correct. But it, what, what struck me is that at the beginning of his message, he prayed sincerely that the Lord would uh, keep them in the truth and that any false ideas would be uh, put aside. And so, well, how does that work? But I think that it comes from, again, that, that we give more heed to the traditions than we do the Word of God. Like, we're, we're so, and this particular guy, I think he's married into this, right? Uh, his father-in-law is a big proponent of this. And so uh, I think that, and, and when he got saved, that's the ideas that he got saved on. And so I think he imbibed this. And so he just, and it's like, this is true, and it doesn't matter. And I know people who, like, are, it's essentially, it's their job, right? Like, they, they're in a denominational church that believes a certain thing. And so it's like, you wonder, like, if I was to be able to give you evidence to show you that this view is false, would you change your mind? Because just like the, just like the cults, like that means what, what are the consequences of that? Could you still be a pastor in that denomination if you don't agree with what it says? And that's the danger, right? That somehow we we put these other things up on equal status with the Bible, which we shouldn't, right? It should be the Bible, sola scriptura. Study. I think that's goes back to what I was saying before. To to study, uh, not just take people's word for it. That we should we should be what says workmen not ashamed in our handling of the word of truth. If and, and this is the thing that I was thinking about. If this is truly the word of God, man, what other book should I be reading that I read more than this? I mean, I should I feel like I should know this as much as possible because this is a living book. It's not like any other book. But how many people do we know that they're essentially Christians for two hours a week? They go to church on Sunday, maybe. And then they, that the Bible just never leaves the shelf. They never look at it. They don't. They don't read. They don't study. They don't nothing. That's that shouldn't be us, right? The Bible talks about the Bereans, right? The, the Bereans uh, are used as an example to to imitate. It says that when Paul and Silas went to Berea, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, and he says, Now these were more, the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That's what we need to do. Examine the scripture to see whether these things are so. And then the last part of this is to seek wise counsel. And i got to be careful with this. Uh, but I think you could make the case that, uh, like for example, when you look at the qualifications of elders, 
in Titus 1, 9-11 says, Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teachings so that he will be able to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Right? There are people who I think, like even when you get to commentaries, there are people who I think... Uh, the Spirit has given insight to and they've recorded these things that like I consult their commentaries and I they're very helpful. But that doesn't substitute my need to study the scripture for myself, right? And there are a lot of there are a lot of Christian teachers who I who I have learned a ton from, but I disagree with them vehemently about certain things. Right? I don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, but the 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 point is that you have to be mature enough spiritually and informed enough to be able to have discernment. That you don't say, well, because so-and-so says that he, he's well-known and famous and knows the Bible, so therefore it must be true. No, what did the Bereans do? They say, okay, I hear what you're saying. Let me check it against the Word of God. Does this match up? And, and as, uh, you know, we have responsibilities within the church to protect the flock. Right from from ravenous wolves who don't come uh, you know out and be like hey I'm the big bad wolf right they're like oh I'm an innocent sheep I'm here just to be part of the flock right so uh, it's a lot of lot of stuff to think about but I think uh, again the, the key takeaway from this is that we have a responsibility to study the Word of God and when it comes to the idea of false prophets the most important thing is that we know the true article, that we know the Bible, that we know who the Lord Jesus is, and we know what the gospel is, and we know those three things well, that is a protection, that's the shield of protection that we have against false teachers. So let's close in order of prayer. Our God and Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have such uh, easy access to it. We pray that we would take advantage of the access that we have that we would study to show ourselves approved. Uh, Lord, we thank you that when we do study, that uh, you are able to, through your Spirit, use that, uh, which we've put into our minds uh, to help us in our day-to-day walk for you. Lord, we think of the scripture memorization that the kids were doing at VBS. Uh, we thank you that we can hide these uh, words in our heart. It says that we might not sin against you. We pray that we would be diligent, that we would be uh, motivated that you would help us to understand your word and that uh, we would be uh, able to be useful vessels for your honor and glory. We thank you for the food downstairs and the hands that provide it. We pray your blessing upon uh, our fellowship this afternoon and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.